I've spoken about the power and value of stories earlier on the podcast, and in this episode, I get to speak to Bryce Conlon, who is all about using storytelling to supercharge the success of brands, businesses, and individuals. He actually used a few stories to help showcase the power of stories. That's pretty meta, right? This isn't just woo-woo stuff either. After this episode, you'll get to see just how applicable this can be in your own lives. Whether you're an entrepreneur pitching for your next deal, or stealing the spotlight amongst a group of friends. You are listening to In Your Element. Where we uncover stories, thoughts, and ideas dedicated to helping you find your own element. Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, sweet. So, hello everyone. I am so excited to be here with you today. I am sat virtually across from my friend Bryce Conlon, um, and I'm really excited for our conversation today. Bryce, why don't you give a quick intro into what you do and what is exciting you most at this moment in time? Oh man, well, Aaron, thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, my name is Bryce Conlon. I live in the United States, I'm in Chicago, uh, in the Chicagoland area. Um, I run a, what is honestly a startup ourselves. It's an entrepreneurial venture as COVID has kind of shifted the, the landscape. I made the decision to leave behind a business that was profitable and working well, but not ultimately kind of feeding my soul. Uh, and so we launched something new called the Narrative Advantage. And um, really, we're all about helping teams uh, figure out, entrepreneurs and the teams that they lead, figure out how to maximize their impact as individuals, as a team, and then as an organization. That is awesome. Um, and one of the things that really caught my eye about you, which we were talking about just before hitting record, is, you know, it was right up in your bio, the name of your company, Narrative Advantage. And for someone like me that is so passionate about storytelling, it really caught my eye. And I wanted to ask, you know, what is it about storytelling and, and narratives that made you want to start this company? What do you see the value um, in that that you think entrepreneurs uh, need to take on board? Dude, it, that's such a great question. And honestly, there have been like books and tomes written on this, right? Like Joseph Campbell's Heroes with a Thousand Faces comes to mind. Uh, actually, the storytelling animal by uh, Jonathan Got Gottschall. Gotcha. I'm not sure. But anyway, there's so many great books on the subject. Um, what is it about story that resonates? Um, I think, and this is not an original thought, but story is what makes us human. I mean, when you look back through uh, our collective history, um, you can picture easily the tribes sitting around the fire, you know, as the sun goes down and the flames come up and you're sitting around the circle and the elders are telling stories of that time when, you know, um, sociologists have looked at story and said, this is how we've survived as a species to become the apex predator. Cause you know that tigers are dangerous and they want to eat you. Even if you've never encountered a tiger, why? Cause someone told you about it. Hmm. I mean, stories are, there's a, there's a biological reason why they exist. And fundamentally, while we live in a modern world, our brains have not evolved that fast. We, we, we crave story. We're addicted to story. We uh, resonate with it when we hear it. And so I look at this and go, man, if you're an entrepreneur, if you want to stand out, if you're trying to build something that has any sort of lasting impact, 
you've got to become a master storyteller and you've got to learn how to tell your story first and foremost. Wow. I love that. The idea that there's this biological element to, to storytelling. I think that is, that is so fascinating. And I mean, when we think back about, you know, a lot of ancient wisdom is encoded in stories, isn't it? You know, from like religious texts to, you know, yeah. whatever. And it's so interesting that it also seems to be one of the best ways that we like retain information as well. And it would totally make sense that it's a biological, there's a biological element to it. And that we should be really using that more in our day to day. And I'm a huge advocate of storytelling, not just in uh, business, which obviously there's huge value in that. But I also think that we can use more storytelling in our day to day, you know, in your day jobs, um, in your, you know, relationships, communication. Um, I am a huge advocate of that. And, and something I wanted to ask you is, and I, I, know I would love to get into the value of storytelling in business, um, sure. but... Another question I'd love to ask is what value do you see in storytelling outside of the world of business? I, I mean, to be completely honest, story is story is story. It doesn't matter if you're using it in a sales pitch, you know, you're, you're pitching a prospect and you're trying to close the deal. It doesn't matter if it's there or if you're sitting around the table with friends or if you're picking up your coffee at the local cafe and you, you know, pop off a, you know, a, a quick story with the barista who's, you know, making your latte, right? It doesn't, it doesn't change. The, the frameworks don't change. The impact doesn't change because at the end of the day, story is just about creating human to human connection. Now, we, in our business, frankly, we've looked at this and said, we need to make a profit. So where are the people who are going to pay to learn how to tell stories? And we, and we hunkered down in kind of the business space. And uh, for me, uh, the startup world, because that's, I, I love startups. I've kind of grown up in it and it's just, I can't imagine a more exciting place to be. But the bottom line is storytelling is just about uh, creating connections And really, and this is interesting too. It's actually a collaborative experience. We tend to think about the storyteller as playing an active role and the story hearer, the listener, as playing a passive role. And that's completely false. Both the storyteller and the story hearer, the listener, both play an active role in co-creating the story together. And so it doesn't matter what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If you desire to influence anyone towards anything, a spouse, a child, a friend, your neighbor, like if you can tell a story, you are more likely to get to the yes, simply because story is in its nature collaborative. That is so interesting. Can you give an example of where, how we might apply this idea of sort of active storytelling with the other participant? Yeah, so uh, I can, and it's a weird concept. I remember the first time I kind of had had the thought or came across the idea. And, and truthfully, I don't remember if it was mine or if I read it someplace. But I remember going, oh, that's weird. Like, that's a really weird thing to kind of get your brain around. Uh, but this most simple example is in a one-to-one -one conversation. If I'm telling you a story, as the storyteller, I'm not talking in a silo. It's not like I you know, have blinders on and I'm in a room by myself and I'm talking into a microphone. In most situations, I'm talking to you. 
And so I'm watching you for nonverbal cues. And so as I tell the story, there are going to be things that naturally resonate. You're going to smile. Your eyebrows will you know, raise or lower. You'll scowl at certain points in the story. And you're telling me what you're resonating with. You're telling me the experience that you're having internally. And so as the storyteller, I can adapt my story. If I see that you're really delighted by a part or by a kind of idea, I'll spend more time on it to keep you happier. If I can see that something's not resonating because you're getting that glassy look over your face, I'll, I'll back up, I'll backtrack, I'll start again. And so that's just like from the most basic in the delivery of the story, how we're collaborating. In one-to-many groups, it takes on a slightly different form. And it's not altogether different in the one-to-one, but in a one-to-many group, it's more observable. And that if I step out on the stage in front of a thousand people and I tell a story, and then you go and you ask every member in that story to retell the story, you're going to hear different emphasis. The story is not going to be the same. And the reason why is uh, you alluded to like old, old ancient religious texts that encode life lessons in parables and in stories. And the reason why is because you as the listener play an active role in discovering the key lesson. I could show up and be like, be good to people, you know, be awesome, do no harm. And you're like, cool, got it. And you move on with your day. But if I show up and I tell you a story, you know, you say, hey, what do you think is the key lesson for life? And I say, well, let me tell you, there once was a bird who lived high atop a mountain and you're going, oh, I'm listening, right? And your brain's engaged and you're playing the role of the detective to try to solve for the message, to solve for the theme. When you discover it, it's your revelation. And likely the discovery that you'll encounter is different than the discovery that someone sitting right next to you will discover. Because even though the story is the same, we're filtering it through our values, our life experiences, our um, most recent you know, dealings and circumstances. And so every part of the listener's life factors into creating the story with the storyteller. So um, that's why I think more than anything, it's such a powerful tool for building influence. I love that. It's like you're giving people some work to do. It's almost like they are deciphering a puzzle in their head. And, you know, everyone loves a puzzle. And I, I love that because you're, you're totally right. If you just sort of sit down and say, yeah, be good or follow this strategy X, Y, Z to accomplish this, like it's going to go right through people's, you know, in one ear or the other. But if you encode it in something that's so interesting that makes them filter it through their values that they have to, to work at it to, to not just decipher it, but then, you know, understand what it means like for them through their own world filter. That is really interesting. And the concept that you can sort of adapt your delivery like on the fly to feedback, I think is really interesting. And I'd be curious to understand how does this work when we're talking about companies that have a narrative or a story? How do you change that delivery or adapt your story um, when feedback isn't as direct as like this one-to-one -one conversation? Yeah, well, so so we have to kind of step back and realize this first fundamental truth. Um, I've been in this line of work as a storyteller my entire career. That's going on 17 years now. Um, I've never done anything else. This is the only thing I've done. So yes, I'm biased. Yes, I'm. Uh, I you know I kind of believe the hype, but I've seen the magic. I've seen 
stories sell $120,000, uh, $120,000 uh, cocktails at a live event 20 minutes after we played a video advertising the event. I've, I've seen stories um, be the difference maker in in raising investment capital for startups or not even getting the meeting. I've seen story uh, totally transform businesses. When uh, one of my clients right now uh, here in the States, we obviously, COVID has been a, a, you know, a rough bump for all of us. But more than that, we had a flare, I mean, a significant setback in, in race relations in the United States in this last year. And companies had to address that. Now, nobody wants to talk about, I mean, let's be honest, nobody wants to talk about that because it doesn't matter how well you do it. You're going to misstep. You're going to get it wrong. And one of my clients stepped into the space and they've completely revolutionized their business, totally top to bottom transformed it simply by telling the stories of how people have been impacted by racism in this country. I mean, it's completely changing the company. And I have no doubt that they're going to see exponential growth in the next couple of years as a result of the work they're doing today. So yeah, I, buy, I believe my own, you know, the hype around this, it really truly does work. But when you ask the question, how do corporations do it? Step number one is realize that most organizations are just, I mean, well, all organizations are just made up of people. And the bottom line is most organizations, collections of people have no idea what their story is. So step one is discover your story, your real story, um, not what you pitch to the media, not what you put up on your social media, not what's on your website, but go deeper and discover your story as individuals and now as a collective. That is step one. But most surprising thing I learned is most organizations have no idea who they are or what they want to say. Wow. No idea who they are, what they want to say. They've got to find their story. <laughs> and that's really interesting. How would you suggest someone can start going about that process to find their story? Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's, <laughs> if it's an individual, I, I, if it's an individual, the process is largely the same as if it's an organization. Um, and I think that we need to go back to those things that makes it, make us fundamentally human, which are conversations. And so in our line of work, we engineer um, conversations, a lot of conversations for both individuals, uh, like executive leaders, if they're trying to grow or scale or build, you know, if you're a founder or for founding teams or, you know, even departments within larger organizations, we engineer conversations that force you to revisit your assumptions. You know, you have to look under the hood. You have to take a step back and wrestle with stuff. And they're designed to not be comfortable. Like we ask these really weird, they're simple questions. They seem really easy on their face, but when you start like wrestling with the nuance, you're like, this, this is a weird question. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this. And we ask them in a way that that gets everybody around you to come up with a fundamentally different answer and then force you to agree. And so the goal isn't really honestly to answer the question. The goal is to get to know one another. And when we get to know ourselves and then those that we're in collaboration with, the story will begin to surface naturally. We'll find the things that collectively we're passionate about 
We'll find the things collectively that we value. We'll find the things that motivate us and push us to the next level. The, what we envision for the organization to four or 10 years in the future. We'll find those things. But the trouble is most certainly founders and entrepreneurs and even in you know very large businesses at the most senior executive levels, they're not asking these questions. It's tactical, it's practical, it's about how do we make a buck? And that works, but not forever. And it's pretty short-sighted. There's no legacy to leave when your only focus is making a dollar. That is amazing. The idea that you just need to get to know each other and the story will naturally surface. That is so powerful. I feel like that also could be really useful just for building good camaraderie like in teams, right? Not just at the, you know, strictly, you know, corporate like level but like day to day with your team like just get to know each other and then what is the story for like your immediate like team um i think that's really interesting and something i'd be really curious about is do you have any particular companies or, or stories that come to mind that really resonate with you in in what regard i mean prob probably is the short answer but you know in any regard or in like Sure. How can I answer that in the best possible way? I'll give you an example. So something that came to mind for me when you were talking about the idea of, um, you know, the idea of, of building stories after getting to know people and, and whatnot was, mm. I don't know if this is entirely, but it just popped up in my mind. Um, the idea that I feel like some of the best companies don't sell products, they sell stories, right? And... A classic example is, you know, the whole iPod, you know, he could have said, uh, Steve Jobs could have said, uh, this is like, you know, 500 megabytes or whatever it was, right? But he said, no, this is a thousand songs in your pocket. Um, and I'm really curious if you have any particular brands or companies that you feel um, inspire you with their storytelling um, in, in, in how they, um, they sell their products. I mean, Apple is the quintessential example, right? Like that's the one that everybody always goes to and frankly for a good reason you're right like i remember when the ipad came out now it doesn't matter what the i i whatever the process has always been the same um nobody needs an ipad i mean nobody people are gonna fight me on that but it, it can't we all had computers we all had phones and then they dropped this ipad and we're all like oh I guess I need that, right? Because Apple, you know, <laughs> Apple says I do. And they put it out there. And I remember seeing the very first commercial for the iPad. And it wasn't about the technology at all. It wasn't about what it could do. It wasn't how fast it was. It wasn't how, you know, what processor it had or uh, its dimensions or its screen resolution or anything. It was about a guy sitting on a beach doing work while he was on the beach or uh, uh, like a guy who's design, designing a motorcycle and he's designing it on the iPad. And it's, you know, a, a ballet dancer, or a dance studio owner who's scheduling out her marketing or putting her marketing together on the iPad. It's just like, whatever it is that you do, the iPad will help you do it better. And suddenly it went from this thing that like, nobody needs that to, I think I, think I need that. And by the way, I did, I went out, I went out and bought one uh, because 
I, I needed it, right? Apple's great at that. Um, to use a more unknown example, there's a nonprofit that I got involved with here in the States. Uh, it's called Transform Capital. And when the founder kind of came to me, he, his, his, he said, I need a website. Okay, cool. This is what? For whom? <laughs> What's the story? What are, we, what are we putting on the website? If you just need a, a domain name and a URL, we can do that. That's easy. But what are we putting on there? Uh, we got him thinking, and then we ended up taking him through our process. We call it our first step. It's called foundations, i.e. laying the foundations for everything that comes next. And, um, you know, it's, it's six hours where we're together as a founding team and we're asking these questions and we're pushing and pulling and we're creating discomforts and finding alignment. And Transform Capital's business model was not something that had ever been, that I had ever seen. And as my research has kind of shown, it doesn't really exist. Um, it's an investment. You make an investment. So you write a, a check to the organization and they invest in people in communities and th and they do that on an individual level so they'll they'll for example buy a, a house if somebody's behind on their payment transform capital will go in and negotiate with the bank on your behalf and buy the house and then they'll own the mortgage and they'll renegotiate the terms to make it incredibly favorable for you now they still make money on the deal but nobody takes money out of the fund it's just every time somebody pays back with interest the fund gets bigger and then they go and buy more houses and they help more families and they cover more medical bills. And then as things get paid back, the fund gets bigger, but they never make money. They never make profit. And so we designed this, you know, through these conversations, it came up one day, somebody said, you know, this, this funding model makes no sense. It makes no sense. And we kind of all paused and went, sense is in like, Logical sense or sense is in like C-E-N-T-S, like dollars and cents. Like, like what is that? And the guy, uh, the person who said it just started laughing and said, yeah, both. And that became kind of the springboard for all of the conversations that they have. Because they walk in and they say, you know, we're the only, we're the only lending model and it makes no sense. And you go, I, I don't understand. Tell me more. And now on a one-to-one -one level, they get to tell you stories. Uh, this coming week, they've got they've got a, a an event and a virtual event going on, and there's just so many people who want to show up and understand. What are you doing? I don't understand. It makes no sense, and it's an invitation for them to just tell stories. and And they don't lead with their financial model. They lead with we want to tell you the story of the Garcias. And you're going, okay, I get it. I'm in. How do I? Let me get my checkbook because uh, they just. It's it's humanness. It's just about humans helping humans. It's not a financial model. It's humans helping humans. So I, my the advice, and this is ultimately, I think, what you're going for for your listeners, is when you are trying to create that influence, is look at the real value that you provide to your customers and tell that story. Not on a We've helped 80% of our customers raise their revenue 20%. That's not a story. That's a statistic and nobody cares. Tell a story. I met Aaron. When I met Aaron, this is where Aaron was. Then we connected and Aaron told me this. And then I did this for Aaron. And we didn't have immediate success. But then we tried this and it worked. And Aaron's here now, all because of our service.
That's a story. Now I'm listening. I can see myself in that. I can discover the truths as we talked about in like in the parable. I don't know if I answered your question or if that was just a total tirade, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully your listeners can find some value in that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was looking for some examples of uh, brands and companies that inspired you with the storytelling. And that example of Transform Capital, I think, is is amazing. Um, and, you know, we, we alluded to this earlier. Something that I want to touch on again is the value of teams in, in yeah. storytelling. And I know you've done some writing on this um, in the past, and I'd love to get your thoughts on how we can find people that we get along with that we want to build teams with okay so this is like this is the bread and butter of what we what we really do at the narrative advantage so we we start with kind of a three uh frame three like a three phase framework and we have to understand that every day when you wake up Aaron when you wake up when I wake up we are telling ourselves a story period we're telling ourselves the story Maybe that story is that you're that you're great and amazing and the world is yours for the taking. Maybe it's the opposite, that you are worthless and value valueless and you have no significance. And the truth is that most of us are telling both of those stories to ourselves every day, depending on the the domain and the circumstances that are happening. Wow, I'm a worm. Wow, I'm the king of the world, right? And we vacillate between those two things. That's the first story that we're telling ourselves. The second story is the story that we're telling to other people with our words, with our behaviors, with our, um, our actions, what we say, how we say it. That's the second story. Then the third story that's very significant, maybe the most important, is the story that others are telling themselves about us based on the information that we're giving to them. And so if you want to find a great team, want to build a great team, you need to know the story that you're telling yourself and be cognizant of the story that you're telling others. Now, you don't get to control the story they're telling themselves about you. That's up to them. But you can influence that with what you say and how you say it, right? And how you behave, frankly. You want to build a great team. This has to happen for everybody on the team at exactly the same time. We have to get really clear and understand the story that we're telling ourselves. Uh, Sun Tzu said, know yourself and you'll win a thousand battles, right? And that's the idea. You're, you're going to be in conflict in teams. You have to understand who are you? What do you value? What drives you? How do you show up? Do you like conflict? Do you, do you run away from conflict? When we have conflict, how do we do this in a way that we can resolve it uh, efficiently, you know, with a high degree of efficacy? How do we do that? And you have to know that about your, your colleagues, your co-founders. Um, what strengths do they have? How does their personality gear? How does their personality gear with yours? When you have a values mismatch, who wins? How? How do you know? How do you navigate those things? And so while this feels really like big and daunting and overwhelming, because it is, it's the key to building successful businesses. Ideas are dime a dozen. Execution is everything. We all know that. But how do you execute? Well, it's not by yourself. So if you want to really build a business, you got to get clear on the story you're telling yourself, the story you're telling others, help them get clear on the story they're telling themselves and the story that they're telling others. And then what is together the story that we are collectively telling ourselves about the business that we're trying to build. 
Now you can begin to build. Most businesses fail simply because they don't do this. There's no frameworks. They don't know how. It takes a lot of time. It can be expensive. And so they don't. They just focus on developing a product and getting to market. That's great. And I've done that. And my businesses have blown up in all the wrong ways. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's so interesting. And the idea that we have these three different kinds of stories, the ones that we tell ourselves, the one we tell others, and then once others tell about ourselves, that is so interesting. And I've never thought about it like that. And recently I've been doing some, you know, in, in some, some of the reading I've been doing, I've come across the idea of the power of the story that you tell yourself and how that changes your thoughts, changes your behaviors, and that ultimately manifests in some way. Um, so it's really important to be like aware of that. But I hadn't thought that much about the stories other people tell um, about us. And I think that's really interesting too, because in a lot of ways, I think the way other people think about us is probably a truer reflection of ourselves. And I mean, in like an average sense, right? Um, then the story that we tell of ourselves, if it's either like too positive or, you know, too negative. And that I think is, is, is interesting. So in a way, if you're on the whole changing the way other people see you, you are kind of changing um, in one sense, which I think is, is, is fascinating. And, and I'm really curious, like, how have you managed to change your story over time? Like, personally? Yeah. well, so it's a, it's a great question. Well, first of all, your, your observation that we, that we, the story that we tell ourselves is often the most flawed is, I mean, in my estimation and my understanding and observation, completely true completely true. Um, there's actually a Japanese uh, philosophy that says you don't exist in, you know, once. And there's not one Aaron, there's not one Bryce. There are as many Bryces as people have met me and have a concept of me in their own mind. And they're all valid and they're all true. So I don't exist as a singular being. I exist in the mind of everyone who's ever met me, just like you do. We form impressions of each other. And we're going to hang up this call um, in a while. And as soon as we do, we're going to walk away. But I still have an impression of you. And you exist in my mind. And I exist in yours, which is fascinating. How have I changed my own story is another you know, interesting one. Because I don't have one story, just like you don't have one story. Um, we are a, a, a limitless collection of stories and experiences and memories that can be rearranged to tell an infinite number of stories, right? Like there is no one Bryce story. There's no one Aaron story. It's just, what's the story for the minute? But I can tell you my last business, and this, this may be the most impactful story I tell you today. Um, my last business, it was a video production business. I was a storyteller, am a storyteller. And uh, I saw myself as a business builder. I saw myself as let's do this. Let's create something exciting and cool. And I, I got an opportunity with uh, a client of mine that kind of stumped me because I, they came to me with this project and I realized if I was going to take it, I needed a team. Before that, it had just been me working on my own. And suddenly I had this project that 
it was too big for one person to, to manage. I had to build a team. And so I went and I recruited a co-founder, a couple of them actually. And it was clear that within, within a month that one of the guys just wasn't really, we weren't connecting, you know? And I saw myself as, you know, the leader of this. I was spearheading it. I was the, the most dominant personality. I was the loudest in the room. Um, I had had the most experience and frankly, to that point, the most success of all of my co-founders. And so I was <laughs> by design or by default, the leader of, of our, our little merry band. And business was really good. Like we finished that project and we did well with it. And we started to build inroads with other organizations. And um, within year one, we had tripled, you know, initial earning projections. Like, oh, and we took no outside money. It was just like rapid, rapid growth in year two. We doubled our top line revenue. It was, it was amazing. It was great. And I saw myself as this incredible, fantastic leader who was building a, you know, a, a rapid growth startup here in, you know, in Chicagoland. Um, and it was great. It was really good. Till one day things weren't so good. And my co-founder was like dropping the ball on things, was burning out. And the kind of the clincher was I got an, I got a phone call late one Sunday night from one of our clients. And they were like, hey, I just want you to know you guys are failing and we're not going to work with you after this. And to me, it was a shock because I thought everything was going really well with this, you know, with this one particular client. And I said, tell me, like, I, I don't understand, like what's going on. And I started to get the rundown and discovered that my co-founder was uh, burning out. He was, he was just, he really was burning out. Um, he was stressed all the time. He couldn't handle what we were trying to build. Uh, he was kind of neglecting work responsibilities. And I was like per so perplexed because the story that we were telling ourselves was we're going to build the best place to work in the Midwest, in the American Midwest. That's what we're going to do. That's our goal. That's how we're going to measure success. Do people want to work here? Does Crane's Business Review write about us? Do we win awards for our, our culture, right? Like these are going to be the metrics that we measure. And if we do that, well, we believe that the money would show up. And and we weren't entirely wrong. The problem was we defined best places to work differently. Our stories were misaligned. For me, the best place to work was a place where folks were uh, inspired and were empowered to do their jobs. They understood themselves. They were encouraged to set big goals and given the tools to reach those, reach for those big goals. Uh, for him, and he never said this. This is my. This is the story I'm telling myself based on what the the behaviors I observed. His ideal of the best place to work was a place where he could pay his bills with minimal effort and accountability. Enter the conflict. Business blew up. Now, for years after that, I was bitter. Um, I was angry. I you know, saw myself as someone to whom a grave injustice had been done. And the truth was that when he left the business, he forced a buyout and um, he walked away with half of everything we owned in the business. Um, I still had people on my payroll, however. Now, by the way, I had not very good. There are ways to buy out a partner that does not end in a nightmare. You just have to have the right counsel. I did not have the right counsel. And so um, we didn't do this particularly well. The exit, it wasn't great. Um, and it 
and since I still had people on my payroll, um, I ended up incurring almost $30,000 in debt. It was like 20, well, it was like 23, I guess closer to 20, like $23,000 in debt um, just to keep the door, personal debt, just to keep the doors open while I made payroll. And that caused a great deal of bitterness. I was really angry for a long time. Uh, so much so I'd be invited to social functions. And since we ran in similar circles and know a lot of the same people, uh, would oftentimes make my decision to go or not go based on whether or not I thought I would see him there. I was just so angry that I was afraid if I saw him, I'd like, you know, would, would do something I'd regret or punch him in the teeth or I don't know, right? Like just anger is a very real human experience that causes erratic and unpredictable behaviors. Over the years, the story I've told myself about that has changed. First, I realized that I was not the great leader I thought I was way back then. Actually, I was a pretty terrible leader because uh, I was focused primarily on building the bottom line, not on building my team and people. I wasn't interested in consensus building. I wasn't interested in collaborating around vision. It was, we're going to go and we're going to make a dollar. That's not leadership. That's being a boss that's being a bully you know leadership is different it, it looks different it feels different and the second way that story has evolved is while it was the the most one of the most expensive um, mistakes of my life certainly and one of the most painful um, and I'm still angry about it if I'm being really honest but the guy has done me a favor in that he forced me to learn resilience and he forced me to grow into the leader that I am today, into someone who does slow down, who prioritizes my, the people on my team more than the profit coming through the front door. If we prioritize the people, the money will show up. But he's done me a huge favor. He broke me out of old ways of thinking and into new, higher levels of growth and experience, but that doesn't mean it was fun or that it felt good. And as I came to realize that in the story that I told myself changed, now it's easier to, um, to kind of think back on those times and to, you know, truly heal and to forgive and to move beyond. And, uh, if I ran into him today, I, I don't think I'd punch him in the teeth. <laughs> I think, I, you know, he's not going to be my best friend and we don't have, you know, we don't have a lot to talk about, but we could, I, I like to think that we could at least be cordial at this point. And the only thing that's changed is how I'm framing the story about my own hurt. So that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the ways. And, and now, I mean, honestly, when I don't think I have all the answers, I know I don't have all the answers, but that's part of the lesson that was learned, you know, in the process was hubris will get you in trouble. Pride really does come before the fall. And um, yeah, that's, that's maybe the most profound and significant way that I have taken a story and reshaped it and reformed it for myself that has created real measurable impact in my business, in my relationships and in the world around me. Thank you for sharing that. I think that was, that was an incredible story about a story. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and, and there was so much that, that you said that, that really resonated with me. And, and particularly one of the things you said toward the back end of, of, um, of that was the idea that you should prioritize your people and the money will come. And that is something that I'm really resonating with, particularly lately, because I've had some experiences in the past couple of weeks where I've also been hurt somewhat um, by by a leader and um, it, 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 it hurt me. And after speaking with some of my, my, my other sort of mentors about this, they helped me see that I could change the story here. I could change the narrative and then realize, okay, I know that at some point in the future, I would love to be a leader. Um, I'm fascinated by leading groups of people. Um, and that experience has taught me the kind of leader that I don't want to become. And I should see it like that. Um, I know I don't want to do that to other people. And having that experience could help me to become a better leader in the future. And that's just changing the story. Like I could be really bitter about it, um, but now I still interact with this person like quite regularly. And now my attitude towards them has changed. I'm actually grateful for that experience. And I don't harbor like much of any negative feelings toward them anymore. And I that's why I believe so strongly as well in, in what you're saying about the idea that we can change that story over time. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, something else I really wanted to ask as well was, um, I know we're, we're sort of coming up to, to the end of our, our um, conversation here, but if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? You know, it's going to sound cliche and it is cliche, um, but cliches exist because regardless of time and space um, or geographic location, there is an element of truth that rings true. And if I could go back in time and give myself one piece of advice, it's figure out who you are. Don't worry so much about what you think you should do. Figure out who you should be, who you can be, who you are. And that's the, the one thing that I would go back. And it's, it's the, been the biggest barrier in my personal and professional career is not having a clear picture of the value that I bring, of the strengths that I possess, devaluing what I show up with, overvaluing what I perceive other people show up with, and not just being true to me, like really, truly true to myself. Um, that begins with uh, an awareness. And so know thyself, you know, that's the cliche, uh, but there's an element of truth. And I think candidly, if more people did this just on, a, on an individual level, uh, if more leaders did this, certainly, uh, it sounds like the leader who has wronged you recently has probably some self-awareness to, to, you know, to grow into, um, and that's not said with judgment, that's said with empathy, because I've been the leader who has hurt people in the past. And I know that I know that it was just because I was insecure myself, you know. So there's some growth, it sounds like. But if leaders knew this, uh, political business, really know, know, know thyself, really, and be comfortable saying, this is who I am. 
I'm really strong here. I'm not so strong here. I'm going to surround myself with people who bring strengths towards my weakness. I'm confident in knowing that what I'm good at has value and what I'm not good at is okay. That would change a lot of things. And I think collectively uh, as people, we you know, could solve a lot of our societal problems. Um, but as individuals, we can find a certain, a certain layer of happiness or a level of happiness that most of us don't experience in the toil of day-to-day -day work. It's moving from that, from toil to work that we enjoy, from you know, something that is meaningful and fulfilling. But that all begins with know thyself. Mm, I think that is so powerful because I think it, it goes, it's valuable for more than just becoming a great leader, but you need self-awareness to be able to tell what it is you should be doing. So I think one of the things you mentioned was don't figure out what you should be doing, figure out yourself. Because you I are. think, yeah, what um, what you should be doing is kind of, it's a nat it, it comes naturally from just knowing, knowing yourself better. Um, that's uh, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, James Clear uh, wrote a book called Atomic Habit. It's, it's really good. And he, it. it's a great book. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, he kind of makes, makes the, the case that every day your behaviors are simply casting votes towards identity. That's it. You know, either you're the kind of person who exercises or you're the kind of person who sits on the couch and eats potato chips. You're just making votes, right? But nothing is cast in stone. The whole thing is fluid. So you start casting votes in the other direction and the type of person that you are changes. I think step one is do an honest audit of who are you and then who do you want to be? And this is an evolution. Like I just did it last night. I was, I was laying in bed and it was late. It was later than I, I wanted it to be. I was like, dude, I want to be the kind of person who goes to bed and gets up at a consistent time. Because I'm not right now, but I want to be that kind of person. So what do I have to do? Well, if I focus on the behavior, I may or may not set an alarm. If I focus on the identity piece, I'm the kind of person who exhibits discipline in my life. Yeah, I'm fired up about that. I can get behind that. I'll make a change rather than just I get up at 6 a.m. every day or whatever. So it really, yeah, it comes back to identity and knowing who, who you are, who you could be, and who you desire to be. And then casting votes. <laughs> and then casting votes, yeah. <laughs> it's a great book, a big fan. Awesome. Um, well, you know, speaking of reading books and uh, resources as well, uh, something that I would love to ask is if there are listeners out there, particularly those interested in entrepreneurship, storytelling, how can they learn more about how to do that and learn more about you at the same time? Yeah. Um, well, so if you're certainly if you're building a business, this is definitely going to be for you. But it just occurred to me, Aaron, that this will likely be valuable for anybody who desires to examine their own, um, their, their thyself, like their own uh, motivations and desires and kind of look at who they are through a different lens. Um, we've put together on our, on our website, narrativeadvantage.com. Um, we actually have a free uh, four week series that we're, we give, we're giving away. Um, it's brand spanking new, which is very cool. We're excited about it. And initial feedback has been like, oh my gosh, this is game changing. This is awesome. And um, 
yeah, you opt in and we'll send you emails with kind of a topic of conversation. If you have a co-founder, you can chat with them on, you know, once a week and we give you a topic and you, you do some work and they do some work and you come together and review your responses together to know, ask questions and discover who you are and discover who they are. But even if you're not building a business, it occurs to me just now that you can go through this with a friend, you know, and get to know a friend better. Um, so there's, there's a tremendous amount of value in it. It's completely free. And it's just go to narrativeadvantage.com and you can opt in for the four, we call it candidly, we, to the world, we call it the four conversations that all, for co-founders. Um, privately, we call it the four awkward conversations that all co-founders need to have. Uh, but yeah, that's there. It's totally free. And I highly, highly encourage that, you know, if you're, if you're even thinking about starting a business, go through it and get to know yourself a little better. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, know thyself, know others, build a great team, and the money will come. <laughs> and this sounds like a great resource to do that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you know, Bryce, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time and having such an interesting conversation and sharing all those stories and talking about what it takes to tell great stories as well. It's been fascinating. I've loved it. I'm sure the listeners have too. And it's been a great conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, honestly, this was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element uncovers stories and ideas of people living in their element. If you know someone who has a great story or have a story of your own you'd like to share, then get in touch and join our growing community at inyourelement.fm. I would love to see you back here for next episode. As always, keep being you, keep crushing life, and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.